Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for coming through the crazy rain. Um, it's lovely to be back here. I, when I was here, I met four people who I'm still very good friends with today. In fact, one of them met his wife at my first book party. So Vermont Studio Center can lead to love. Um, and it's just lovely to see Gary and everyone that I'd met before and meet all of the new people. And I've seen such great artwork and writing, so it's been a treat. So I'm going to read first from this book called Of Lamb. And this is just to give you a sense of um, how this book came about. So I think you had Tiku Reddy here recently, who also did an erasure. So this book is an erasure. I just chose this book at random. It was the first book I found for $3 on the street. And I decided I would try erasing it. And Charles Lamb, you probably haven't read him unless you're really into essays. Um, he was kind of a mediocre romantic poet, friends with Wordsworth and Coleridge. Um, and he had sort of a tragic life. His sister Mary killed their mother when she was about 14. She had a fit of madness. And um, he then, once his parent, well, she died, and then once the father died a few years later, um, he took care of Mary for the rest of their lives, and they lived together. And neither one of them ever married. So it, what happened when I started um, erasing the book is that that's the actual title of the book that it turned into. I guess I can hold that up. It's going to turn into that. Is that pretty much on every page there was Lamb or Mary? So it kind of turned into a Lamb and Mary retelling of that um, nursery rhyme, except that that nursery rhyme hadn't been written back when they um, were alive. And um, this one has a little, is not exactly kid-friendly because there's a little bit of um, uh, bestiality and other things. So um, this is just to show you what it looked, started looking out as. I won't read these right now. So then I contacted this artist, Amy Jean Porter, who um, paints all, is trying to paint all of the animals in North America, and I asked her if she might like to draw some lambs, and she said yes, so this is the story that came out of that. Lamb lived in the background. Lamb, small, plump, observed. Lamb was one of the listeners. He moved among the rouged illusions of dawn. Cheerful lamb liked tinsel. And, and you can notice in this one, instead of having tinsel, he has a Hershey's kiss. She does a lot of things where she kind of reconstitutes the text. Um, so it's not exactly illustration. It's kind of almost another erasure. He imagined a satin-clad, fair-haired shepherdess. Lamb found Mary crying in the hedge. As pretty as a poem was Mary. Lamb stuttered, l-l-l-lamb. Lamb leaves a rose on the lawn. Lamb and Mary were alike, unbalanced, flat-footed, high-strung. Mary called him delicious. Actually, lamb liked meat. The house lay unexplored, Mary took him for a walk in the yard. Mistress, consider the clouds above me a roof. Bound together, Lamb and Mary gazed at the thronging crowds. Lamb felt unusual next to Mary. 
by nature soft-hearted, Mary was devoted to him, read to him, fed him with cakes and religion. Lamb felt the need to be a favorite lamb. And Amy Jean said that she thought that Brian Williams also wants to be a favorite lamb. (laughs) (laughs) They pined and hungered after bodily joy. Lamb and Mary met in whatever room happened to be closest. Who would not be curious to see the pictures? Lamb and Mary intertwined. Lamb replied, I am afraid. Mary shut his eyes to the future and ardently turned to animal satisfactions. Lamb described London Bridge with his tongue, and London Bridge is underneath the table there. Calf love is fanciful, wistful. Lamb settled on his pillow, the material a faded print of princes. For Lamb, white-faced, fettered, time was full of time. Lamb's delicate breath grew stronger, his poems dreamy. Lamb imagined the story of a lamb made human. So there he becomes a baseball player. I forget the guy's name. Yes, thank you. Lamb did not always make a good first impression in conventional society. Lamb thought about trousers, but he was a nonconformist. He was, to use his own phrase, half a man. Blurred mornings, the smooth lawns sprinkled with Lamb's imagination. Bright glint in the garden, Lamb jumping in December. A quarrel began the trouble. Irresistible Mary cautioned against pleasure. Lamb, dozing by the fire, turned round and said, Oh? (laughs) Disappointed Lamb ate a nettle. (laughs) Lamb, eyes shut, ran backward. Winter washed by. Easter was a tough master. A perm did not prove successful. And here we have um, Washington crossing the Delaware of her hair. His anxiety, a glittering chandelier rustling in his mind. The nearest field, 16 miles. Foolish dignity and moonlit tears, his two prevailing moods. Vacillating lamb owed everything, owed nothing to love. It did him good to imagine shackles for Mary. He seethed in the cloisters, incomparably alone. Poor spindly lamb experienced a shrinking world. Lamb did not, was not mature. A dismal tide rushed in. Lamb turned to drink. Sweet, quiet lamb swore at a bystander. Flippant lamb misbehaved at a funeral. Lamb in the midst of the lake destroyed the rainbow. See, there is a rainbow in here. (laughs) Lamb disliked the lark, that little orchestra. 
the world showed gray as something fallen from the mind. He turned to the white papers of sleep. Lamb on his side, gasping, poor lamb. Nerves his family, trouble his home, dark spirits his company. He would snap at Mary if he did not feel like feeling. I cannot whip lamb, thought Mary. Look at her long, rueful face. Goodbye to summer, goodbye to autumn, dressed in the regulation yellow of change. Lamb's first letter after six weeks in a madhouse. I bit my shadow and Mary. Crammed with language, Lamb was now talking. Here, a typical sentence. I have sometimes in my dreams imagined myself as King Lamb, Emperor Lamb, higher than which is nothing but the Lamb of God. Haunted Lamb sung out, shut the door, allow me to see organs once more. We have for amusement a library without books, a newspaper no better than a prison. Dullness brought anxieties, Lamb strung in the streets. With feverish eyes on the dawn, Lamb felt on fire. His obstacles began to fade. He has a little cigarette he's putting out underneath his hoof there. The new lamb was dandified and amusing, often invited out to dinner. Lamb delighted in surprising others by his liking for slippers. And this is our only other celebrity appearance. That's Oprah, and Amy thought that Oprah was always surprising people, so she wanted to surprise Oprah. Before breakfast, Lamb liked smoking. His reflection was his most exquisite pleasure. Lamb lapses into logic, a tree throwing out branch and blossom. Face to face, they ate. Lamb exclaimed, I hate the country. Mary thought, I think I will go and look at Valentine's. What did Mary think of children? Lamb, a father of a dark-haired little girl lamb? Lamb remarked, I dislike being alone. Lamb, shut up. It seemed natural that they should adopt. A nervous autumn, Mary in a mood, Lamb had time to brood. If you look at her feet, that's the original Lamb book there that Amy put in. Mary had a fit of madness overlooking the River Seine. Afterwards, Lamb did not venture far from London. Of depression, Miss Mary was too fond. Madness returned like a blanket. The piano rushed from the room. Lamb was obviously a gentleman, not a fellow who goes whisking about like a ball of worsted. She closed her door. In the next room, terror. In the house, remorse. In the next room, the very next room, indignation, grief. The world shaken up in a kaleidoscope. Her madness, her madness, her madness. Mary is ill again. I have nobody by me to speak to me. Should I tell you I watched her eating a bit of cold mutton in our kitchen? In June, freezing days, 
This earth puzzles and discomposes me. In old age, Lamb did think he should be happier. Year by year, he appeared fatter, but Lamb was not full of fun. Lamb confessed, can you make head or tail of heaven? The life contemplative is unwholesome food, a snake in the temple garden. In the trees, fantasies. Lamb on the lookout, merry over quiet, a pathetic little pair. Lamb walked over the hill to the wide, wide view. He could hardly support his shadow. Lamb's mind struggling, forgetting. Memories were the house not lived in. Lamb, his child face, his selfish love. He could not stop the clouds or the sun. Lamb thought conclusions were all alike. His figure had grown dim. He had always needed her more than she needed him. So that's the end of Lamb, the sad end. And now I'm going to read some other poems. And we'll see if just going like this is going to do it. Probably not. No. But maybe if I close it or something. Ah, thank you. So you see how it looks a little bit like a children's book, but then you feel a little bit nervous about reading it to children. Unless they're under four. And then they don't really get it, so it's okay. Um... All right, I've been writing a lot of poems about mermaids lately, um, which has led to a very strange world in which I went to the mermaid convention in Las Vegas last August. Um, things get pretty weird when you write one mermaid poem, so then I wrote some more, because I was curious to see what would happen. This is the first one. The Straightforward Mermaid. The Straightforward Mermaid starts every sentence with, look. This comes from being raised in a sea full of hooks. She wants to get points one, two, and three across, doesn't want to disappear like a river into the ocean. When she's feeling despairing, she goes to eddies at the mouth of the river and tries to comb the water apart with her fingers. The straightforward mermaid has already said to five sailors, look, I don't think this is going to work, before sinking like a sullen stone. She's supposed to teach rock impersonation to the younger mermaids, but every beach field trip devolves into them trying to find shells to match their tail scales. They really love braiding. Look, says the straightforward mermaid, your high ponytails make you look like fountains, not rocks. Sometimes she feels like a third gender, preferring primary colors to pastels, the radio to singing. At least she's all mermaid, never gets tired of swimming, hates the thought of socks. The Homemade Mermaid. The Homemade Mermaid is top half pimply teenager, bottom half tuna. This does not make for a comely silhouette, and the fact that her bits are stitched together with black fishing wire only makes the combo more gruesome. The Homemade Mermaid floods Mermag's Ask Serena column with postcards that read, Oh, why not half salmon or half koi? Signed, Frankenmaid. Sure, she's got the syndrome, loves her weird-eyed maker who began his experiments with Barbies and goldfish in a basement years ago, but she does sometimes wish he'd picked her prettier sister 
and left her tanning on tinfoil in the yard. When he lugs the homemade mermaid to the ocean, she always comes swimming back, propelled only by her arms. She really hasn't reconciled with that tale. The next day, he can usually be cajoled into playing a game of all-girl. They tuck her tail in a tank behind her, and her human half sits pertly at a desk. Whether she's playing secretary or schoolgirl, the game always ends when the mixture of glue and glitter that he's still perfecting for her tail sparkles gets stuck in the tank ventilation system and the engine coughs to a stop. She sighs as he scoops out the glittery sludge. Tonight again, he'll serve her algae with anchovies, and she won't complain. The one time he brought her fries, delicious fries, she took them as if in a trance and dipped them two at a time into the ketchup. The shared memory sprang to both their faces. Two severed legs, blood everywhere, his hand gripping the saw. I don't want to ruin French fries for you guys. I know that they're an important part of the culture. Um, this is the poem that I wrote after going to the Mercon conference, um, where I learned a lot about mer-tailers who make amazing silicon mermaid tails, and um, met all sorts of mermaids. Um, but there were a lot of older men photographing younger women who were posing really sexily in their mermaid costumes. So this is where this one came from. The Objectified Mermaid. The photographer has been treating her like a spork all morning. Wistful mouth, excited tail, work it, work it. He has no idea that even fake smiling spreads to her eyes and her tail, and there's nothing she can do about it short of severing her spine. Without asking, the assistant resprays her with glycerin. It's going to be hell getting all that grease off her scales tonight, but she can't scum up her tank at the bar. Its weekly cleanings seem more like monthly these days, and fewer and fewer patrons have been inviting, read, paying her for a tank-side martini and a quick feel of her tail. There's one regular who lapses in and out of consciousness, and he's the real reason she stays. Every once in a while, he seems to have forgotten where he is, and he looks at her with the kind of wonder she imagines her grandmother inspired when she first risked coming ashore. After an hour under the studio spotlights, she's starting to spell, smell pretty fishy. Can't blame it as she has before on her standard seaweed bra, because this fool of a photographer has her holding two clear fish bowls in front of her breasts, so it looks like goldfish are swimming past her nipples. She's supposed to pretend it tickles. She wants to ask if he's heard the phrase gilding the lily, which she recently learned at Land Berlitz. When asked if she's tired, she lies. A downward spiral means the opposite up here. Okay, so I'm going to read um, two kind of apocalyptic poems from modern life. Um, they're poems that were made by making lists in the, in the dictionary between the words future and terror and then creating a story from that. And... Um, these ones are kind of in a, in a soldier's world. The future of terror and terror of the future are more civilian, but they're divided for no reason. It's just everyone, everything's going to hell. The future of terror, one. The generalissimo's glands directed him to and fro. Geronimo said the uber goon we called God, and we were off to the races. 
Never mind that we could only grow gray things, that inspecting the horse's gums in the gymnasium predicted a jagged road ahead. We were tired of hard news. It helped to turn down our hearing aids. We could already all do impeccable imitations of the idiot, his insistent incisors working on a stake as he said, there's an intimacy to invasion. That much was true. When we got jaded about joyrides, we could always play games in the kitchen garden with the prisoners. Jump the gun, fine kettle of fish, and kick the kidney were our favorites. The laws the linguists thought up were particularly lissom, full of magical loopholes that spit out metals. We had made the big time, but night still nipped at our heels. The navigator's needle swung strangely, oscillating between the oil wells and ask again later. We tried to pull ourselves together by practicing quarterback sneaks along the pylons, but the race to the ravine was starting to feel as real as the RIPs and roses carved into rock. Suddenly the sight of a school bag could send us scrambling. The Future of Terror 11. From the gable window, we shot at what was left, gargoyles and garden gnomes. I accidentally shot the generator, which would have been hard to gloss over in a report, except we weren't writing reports anymore. We ate our gruel and watched the hail crush the hay we'd hoped to harvest. I found a handkerchief drying on a hook and without a hint of irony, pocketed it. Here was my hypothesis. We were inextricably fucked. We'd killed all the inventors and all the jesters just when we most needed humor and invention. The lake breeze was lugubrious at best, couldn't lift the leaves. As the day lengthened, we knew we'd reached the lattermost moment. The airlift wasn't on its way. Make-believe was all I had left, but I couldn't help but see there was no we. You were a mannequin and I'd been flying solo. I thought about how birds can turn around mid-air, how the nudibranch has no notion it might need a shell. Swell. I ate the last Napoleon. It said, onward, on the packaging. There was one shot left in my rifle. I polished my plimsolls. I wrapped myself in a quilt. So this is how you live in the present. I'm terrible at living in the present, so that was a pretty cranky one about living in the present. Um, okay, so I'm going to end by reading um, three poems that are based on um, weekly world news headlines. And yes, that's what I will do. Cheap cloning process lets you have your own little Elvis. If the real Elvis was a race car, the little matchbox-sized Elvi we buy are the half galaxies of other cars' odometers seen through a cab window at night. When my Elvis does a hip swivel, like a bobblehead dog on the dash, his game will swivel all day long. It doesn't cause a full-on swoon, just a tiny pinprick of desire felt in the arch of the foot, like a lozenge when you want a meal. The Elvi are smart not to serenade us with baby, if you'll give me all of your love, on their nano-guitars, we'd crush them with one corresponding hip spiral of our own. 
so they stick to strumming dainty little moonbeams while we smoke cigarettes and cloak them in smoke. My friend, who's strangely loyal to the original Elvis timeline, maintains hers nicely, smooths baby oil onto his black hair. Using a microscope, she's already sewn him a tiny sequin jumpsuit for his later, fatter years, and to that end, she deep-fries breadcrumbs stuffed with a dab of peanut butter and one bako bit. Once, I caught mine manhandling a sprig of parsley, pretending it was Priscilla. Every month or so, we meet at a playground on our lunch break and corral them all in a sandbox. Fights flare up instantaneously over who's the real Elvis, who's an imposter. And while they pull on each other's pompadours, we munch on our pastrami sandwiches, imagining what's up next, a tiny Jesus or a mini Michael Jackson wearing disco Barbie's glove. Woman lives in house made of people. They were lonely. I was alone. Out of those two sentences, I made myself a home. My house size has a hundred heartbeats, dimpled cupboards, and a pink mouth for a mailbox. There's always a tangle of legs in my bed. Oh, the walls have eyes, the baseboards have toes. The decorative molding, rows of noses, twitches and sniffles, and at the end of the sad movie, the tears on my face are not only my own. But now the outside feels all wrong, trees not breathing, sidewalks unspeckled by a single freckle, and blazing over everything, a faceless sun. All right, this one is written, is it humid in here? I feel like it's humid. So this one is, the title is Using a Hula Hoop Can Get You Abducted by Aliens. That was my favorite one I've found so far. Um, So it's written in the voice of the aliens, um, because you'd want to know why they were taking those people. And the aliens are pretty good at English, but there are a few things they don't quite know the words for. So whatchamacallits are cars, and leash holders are pet owners, and furries are pets, and farbits are legs. And I think that's everything. Yeah. Um, and I'm sort of, I sort of would like to be around for when the aliens come, but I'd like to be just at death's door. So um, anyway, that's my hope, if you're listening. Using a hula hoop can get you abducted by aliens. We've never taken anyone buttoned up and trotting from point A to point B, subway to office, office to lunch, fretting over the credit crunch, not the ones carefully maneuvering their whatchamacallits alongside broken white lines, not the leash holders who take their furries to the park 3.5 times per day. If you're an integer in that kind of equation, you belong with your far bits on the ground. We're seven star years past calculus, so it's the dreamy ones who want to go somewhere they don't know how to get to that interest us the ones who will stare all day at a blank piece of paper or square of canvas, then peer searchingly into their herbal tea. It's true that hula hoops resemble the rings around first home, and that when you spin, we chime softly, remembering our summer, our spring, and our 12 other seasons. But that's not the only reason. Do we like rhyme? Yes, we do. Also your snow, your moss, your tofu. 
Our sticky hands make it hard for us to put things down. Don't fret, dreamy spinning ones, with water falling from your faces. It's us you're waiting for, and we're coming. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.